0: now it's time for our daily Bloomberg Law Brief exploring legal issues in the news. And today Bloomberg Law hosts June Grasso and Greg Store discuss the Supreme Court's decision forcing Texas to broaden its death penalty exemption for people with intellectual disabilities. They speak with Virginia Sloan, president and founder of the Constitution Project, and Robert Dunham, Executive Director of the Death Penalty Information Center.
1: Rob, uh, let me start with you. Just tell us, tell us who Bobby James Moore is and, and his background and why we're even talking about whether uh, he is eligible for the death penalty. Well, Bobby James Moore is a Texas throw prisoner, uh, and he, uh, he was sentenced to death, although there were serious questions uh, about whether he had intellectual disability. The United States Supreme Court ruled uh, in 2002 that you can't execute people uh, who have intellectual disability. And the Texas trial court, uh, who heard um, Bobby James Moore's claim, applied the, uh, looked at the clinical definitions of, uh, of intellectual disability and found that he had met them. Uh, the the uh, Texas Court of Criminal Appeals uh, instead substituted uh, a set of uh, standards called the Brasenio Factors, which are an unscientific group of uh, essentially lay stereotypes, uh, and, uh, and said that Uh, he had not proven uh, intellectual disability. So the case came up to the United States Supreme Court uh, essentially decide whether he could be uh, facing a death penalty or not.
2: Ginny, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg wrote the majority opinion. Tell us what her reasoning was.
1: Well, her reasoning was that the uh, uh, Texas Court of Criminal Appeals had not uh, relied on the medical standards that were the latest and up-to-date standards uh, for determining when someone is intellectually disabled and had instead relied on outdated and judicially crafted uh, standards uh, that just don't um, mean anything. They're not uh, judicially significant. They're not legally significant, and uh, they don't determine whether anyone is intellectually disabled or not.
0: That's Virginia Sloan, president and founder of the Constitution Project, and Robert Dunham, executive director of the Death Penalty Information Center, speaking with Bloomberg Law hosts June Grasso and Greg Store. You can listen to Bloomberg Law Weekdays at 1 p.m. Wall Street time here on Bloomberg Radio.
2: And that's this morning's Bloomberg Law Brief. You can find more legal news at BloombergLaw.com and BloombergBNA.com. Attorneys will find exceptional legal research and business development tools there as well. Visit BloombergLaw.com and BloombergBNA.com for more information. Well, as we've been reporting this morning, the U.K. starts the clock today on two years of negotiations to withdraw from the European Union and thus heads into the unknown. S&P's chief rating officer warns the U.K.'s credit rating could be at stake. What does Stephanie Flanders see ahead? We're about to ask the UK-based Chief Market Strategist for J.P. Morgan Asset Management, joining us on the Spectrum Enterprise phone line, Spectrum Enterprise Nationwide Fiber-Based Network and IT Infrastructure Solutions. Stephanie Flanders, good morning and welcome. We've seen this coming for a long time. Right now, the markets appear calm. Is there anything that could seriously upset that?
3: Well, I think we are. We, most of the expectations around this particular moment have very much been baked into markets for a while. But of course, we'll be listening to Prime Minister Theresa May when she, when she stands up and effectively says what was in that letter that's been sent over to the European Commission um, this morning. And if there's any sign that her negotiating position has changed or that we might be looking at a harder or softer version of Brexit, then that could have an effect on markets. But at the moment, we're not anticipating that. And we are just realizing that the clock has now started ticking on those very difficult negotiations.
2: Yeah, she, she's done a lot to try to telegraph to the markets. Uh, you know what's ahead. Do, do you think that that's going to be the the course she's going to take? <sighs>
3: I mean, I think we've had an interesting uh, approach taken by Theresa May that, you know, someone who had previously campaigned to stay in the European Union since being in this position and having accepted the the decision of the referendum has almost acted as if there were no downsides to this and that we could achieve a fantastic trade deal in a very short time and also have the extra advantages, the freedoms that come from being outside the EU. I think there are a lot of people who worry that that's setting expectations, public expectations pretty high. You know, people in the markets have not been have been more sceptical of that view, and we've seen the pound affected by uh, concerns around the economic impact of a harder version of Brexit. But you know, we've yet to see really what that's going to look like and how difficult these negotiations are. So maybe we'll have a bit of sense of that from her, but we haven't so far.
2: Now, we expect that in this letter is is sort of the the pathway to what Britain is going to need out of these negotiations. Uh, what does Britain need?
3: Well, we want to have all the advantages that we currently have of being in the European Union, but none of what we consider to be the disadvantages. For example, uh, the fact that we can't prevent other European citizens from coming living in the UK, which several million people have. And that's one of the political issues that's been around Brexit. Now, of course, the the other 27 are going to have their view. and, And one of the views of many in the European Union is we can't have this leaving option look too great at a time when there's a lot of populist pressures and Criticism of the European Union within uh, Europe itself. So, you know, this is the issue. We've had a lot of debate in the UK around the UK position, but now we have to counter in, you know, what 27 other countries think and their own domestic political considerations, which could which could really make negotiations hard. They always do. I mean, trade deals are difficult. You know that in the states, how hard it is to get one of these things through through Congress, let alone negotiated.
2: So, are we looking at two years of volatility as as the negotiations go from hard? to progress to hard again?
3: Well, I think there'll be a quiet period for the next six months or so uh, because uh, the timing of this is a bit awkward. As you know, we have a big French election. We have a big German election. They're the two... Most important countries uh, in Europe. They're not going to be the only ones who have a say, but I think most people think that the serious decisions are not going to be taken on the shape of Brexit until we have new leadership in Germany and France, which will be in only in the autumn. Um, so before that, we will have sort of more manoeuvring on the sidelines and the negotiators sitting around and talking to each other. But I don't think, in terms of market-moving events, we're going to have that much until we get to the end of the year and the first half of 2018. That's when we're really going to have to start seeing a shape of a deal if we've got any chance of meeting this two-year time frame.
2: Very quickly, how concerned are you that Scotland could complicate matters here with its referendum uh, demands?
3: I think in the long term it could complicate it a lot. I think the Prime Minister is going to stick with her argument that this is no time to have another referendum, so I'm not sure the Scottish are going to win in their desire to have one before Britain leaves the EU. But certainly down the road, uh, this could make for very difficult negotiations around the future of the United Kingdom itself.
2: Stephanie Flanders, thank you very much for joining us, Chief Market Strategist for JP Morgan Asset Management in London.